Hi folks, thanks for joining us again at uh, Liberty Grace. Pray that uh, again you are continuing to think about uh, the world around you. I know this is a difficult time to process what is going on, but there are ways that you can continue to be involved. We are continuing to collect coats and to collect socks and things for those in our world that are in need. And I pray that you'll take advantage of those opportunities to get engaged in your community. Uh, you can drop those off at the uh, airlock here at the church, or you can contact myself or Ben, and we'll make sure that those things find a good home. We have uh, a lot of things that are out of our control, and, and I wanted to... Uh, sum up what it is that we've been talking about in, in our maturity series. As we look at what Jesus actually did while he was here on earth, we've, we studied the book of Mark this year and we watched him journey through life and we learned a lot from, from just following his example. And I wanted to specifically tackle his temptation today as as we think about what it means to grow up and to be mature and and we've talked about this for several weeks now um, there's an example here in how Jesus handles temptation that reminds us specifically of our core values um, if you're looking for a place to start uh, we are going to look at Luke chapter 4 here today. We're going to stay pretty much Luke chapter 4. If you're following along on version, uh, then you've already seen that as well. But it is the temptation that Jesus faces specifically from Satan and how he defends himself against those temptations. That is, that is really a, a window into how we are to work in our world as we come across the, the different things that we face on a, on a daily basis. This passage comes in Luke 4 right after we see Jesus' baptism and his lineage and some of those things in Luke chapter 3. Uh, his baptism is a high point. This is a point where Jesus is... Uh, in front of a crowd and John the Baptist baptizes him and in the midst of it you hear that voice of his father saying this is my son in whom I am well pleased and then you have the Holy Spirit dis descending as a dove in the midst of that as well and the son there in the waters of baptism obeying uh, what his father's will is and so it's a snapshot of the Trinity. That's where we pull parts of our theology for the Trinity of the Godhead. Yes, because you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all there in different manifestations, different uh, existing yet in one place. And so um, that's a real high point for Jesus. He's fulfilled some things there. He's beginning his ministry now. And it jumps right into Luke chapter 4 where he is going to be tempted by Satan. And it goes out into the desert. And so as we look at this, I want you to understand he's had a high point, which some of us maybe we were feeling really good when we entered 2020. You know, the stock markets were good. Everybody had jobs, lots of things that we were thinking about in our very American way. Um, but Jesus would have been at a high point as well when this all started for him. And so 
In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we pick up the story. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. And so, so Jesus has had this high point, and he allows the Holy Spirit then to lead him into the desert to face the temptations that we're going to see here. These were things that were going to be common to man. It was an acclamation to, to what it was really going to be like as he begins his ministry. The, the Spirit knew of that and, and knew that he needed to, to have this time. And, and so it appears as if he goes by himself with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that he spent time talking to his father and he's preparing for what it is that's, that's coming it doesn't say that he just went out and sat down and, and didn't prepare at all, but it doesn't really give us a window into what he did with his time. But if we know anything from Jesus' ministry going forward, that he spent time alone in prayer, that he, that he sought out his father's counsel uh, quite a bit in prayer and, and just spent time communing with God and with others as he came up with some of these ways to react. So here we have Jesus just having been baptized at a high point in his, at his career, beginning his ministry. He's now in the desert to be tested by Satan. And he was hungry. That's the first thing that we come to is, is the first temptation uh, revolves around how hungry Jesus must have been. And so as we follow along in Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written that a man shall not live on bread alone. So this first temptation, as we kind of break it apart, um, it's, it's a temptation about provision. Who is really providing for Jesus? And Satan knows this is a way to get Jesus to take back some of that which he laid aside for our benefit. Remember, as he stepped into our creation, he gave up all of that stuff so that he might be an example to us. And so this very first one is about, well, Jesus, you're hungry. So why don't you take that stone and turn it into a loaf of bread and, and go ahead and eat because you have that ability. You're going to be able to do that throughout your ministry because you're the son of God, right? Why don't you take your rightful place back and feed yourself? It's a big temptation and it's one that's very common to all of us, right? Who actually provides what we have? You know, as I think about it a lot inside of this year, um, it's given all of us a time to reflect, to think about provision. What does it mean to rethink the word need? What is it that you really need provided for you? Because God says that he will provide for our needs. And to reevaluate that in a situation where we have struggled, where we've faced uncertainty, where we don't know exactly what's going on, I can say that I have not had to worry about where my next meal is coming from. 
this year. That's not entered my mind. There are people around the world that face that every day. But I still do think I struggle with this provision temptation just like everyone else. It looks differently maybe, I think. What can I do more or better uh, to make sure that I am worth what the church is, is providing for me because the church is providing and you as, as you give to the church are providing to me and my family. And so I have this level of, of guilt a bit at times that, that maybe I'm not doing enough and maybe I'm not worthy of all of that. I'm sure that, that that is one of the temptations that you face as well at times. Or maybe it's the other side of it, that maybe you feel like what you're receiving, you're worthy of more. That you have this idea that, that all that I do, why doesn't anybody notice? Why doesn't anybody take care of me better? Either way you look at this, the reality is when our focus shifts off of the creator and his true provision for us, it leads us in a wrong direction, leads us to a place that we weren't supposed to be. We're supposed to understand that God wants to provide for us, just like all the stories that we've read throughout the scriptures, all of the ways that we've looked at it, clear back to Adam and Eve when God provided for their every need in the garden. God will provide for your needs. And when, when we see that and we understand it on its face, then we understand a little bit what Jesus and the devil were wrestling with in this moment because it was more than just a loaf of bread, right? Could Jesus have turned that stone into a loaf of bread and eaten and provided for himself? Yes, but there was a deeper, a deeper implication in that that he would have not trusted God then to provide for him. And that's the rub, isn't it? Do we really trust God to provide for our needs? That's the temptation. The temptation is to step in and say, well, I can work some more overtime or I can do some things to provide for the things that I want or, oh, there I said it, huh? Maybe not the things I need, but the things I want. Jesus really had to wrestle with, does his father really provide for what he needs? And he recalls scripture and he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and he quotes the, the line there that man shall not live on bread alone. Because it's deeper than just a loaf of bread. It's trusting God for provision. And he had to, at that moment, remind himself that it's not just about the bread, but it's about how God provides the bread. And so if you read with me Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, the Israelites were in the desert. They had been led out of captivity and God was beginning to show his care for them and continuing to, to process their relationship and he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Yes, God provided physically for their need in the desert. He provided manna, but he also took them into the desert for those 40 years to humble them and to help them understand that the currency that they were working with was trust. That do you trust God to provide for your needs? And he provides physically for them out of, a, out of manna in a way that neither they nor their ancestors had known. And in reality, that they were sustained by their trust in God. That's actually what was going to sustain them by trusting that he would provide, believing that he is uh, the one that provided and the one that he says he is, believing that he is who he says he is, the provider, the one that everything is from. Remembering that he has in the past as Jesus is recounting that to Satan by saying, man shall not live on bread alone. He's recounting what he knows of God's character to be true from the past and applying it to his current situation, saying, I trust that my God will provide. Remembering that he has in the past and will continue to provide. And so we see him come through this first temptation of provision by looking back to what God has done. And this is the pattern that we're going to follow. He looks back to see how God provided in the past, how he has taken care of things before, and he remembers those and applies them to his current situation. So Jesus is, is teaching us that it's incredible that we know who our God is and what he's done in the past so that we can believe today that he's going to do the same thing. The second temptation in Luke chapter four, verses five through eight, and we'll go through these a little quicker. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first one was about provision. Who is who is providing what really sustains you? What is underneath the provision? Do you trust that God provides? The second one is about your position. What position are you in? So provision is about what God gives to you. Then your position is how God is working through you. And, and in this instance, Satan says, I can give you a different position, one of power, and, and, and you will get the credit. You'll get the glory, right? But Jesus reminds him that in Deuteronomy 6 is what he quotes, that worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Who gets the credit? 
If I worship the Lord my God and I serve him only, then he gets the credit. The position is his. He provides for me and then I put him in a position to get all of the credit that I worship him and I serve him only. Because really success and recognition here is temporary. Right? That's really what, what Jesus is dealing with is, as he's thinking about these positional authorities that Satan is offering. This is temporary. This world isn't going to be here forever. And so if he truly trusts God to provide, then he's going to trust God with his position. And his position is grounded in eternity, not in this world, not this temporal place where we live. As he remembers that success, recognition, all those things are temporary and that the worship of God is eternal. Why you worship something matters. It's eternal or it's temporary. Why are you worshiping it? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13 is where we have quoted this and it says specifically to fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Every bit of that redirects the credit away from Jesus, away from us, and redirects the glory and points others to worship God. It also, as they understand that we give all the credit back to God and give him the glory for his provision and where he is, is working in our lives, then it directs them to an eternal view of things as well. That there is something more valuable than what's going on right here in front of our eyes. That God will trust, we can trust that God will provide for us that our position is secure because it's not based here in this temporary world. It's eternal in value. And then the third temptation that Jesus faces in the desert in Luke 4 verses 9 through 12 is all about the protection of our lives. And the devil led him to Jerusalem. And had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put, your, put the Lord your God to the test. So if you're going to trust God with provision, if you're going to trust God with your position, then this third one is about your protection. It's interesting to me that Satan changes his tactic here a bit. He takes Jesus to the top of the temple, a very high place, and says, why don't you go ahead and just jump off because... Well, if you want to quote scripture, I can too. And Satan says, it says that he will command a legion of angels to take care of you. You won't even strike your foot. And Satan uses the scriptures to try to tempt Jesus, to read a piece of it out of context and apply it. And that happens all across our world every day. 
that we take a piece of God's word and we want to believe it so badly that we twist the context and the meaning to suit what we want. And what is going on here is Satan is saying, God will protect you. You can do whatever you want. Just jump off of here because you're the son of God, right? Again, it all comes back to this, this belief that positionally you need to take back control, right? But Jesus has already dealt with that. He's, he's understood, I trust God for provision. I trust God in my position. And now I'm going to trust God for my protection. Yes, I may end up hurt in this world. But I know that my God is doing what is necessary. And I have done nothing to put myself in a place to test God. Because that's really what Satan was doing, was, was testing God's scriptures, right? He was saying, take advantage of who you are. If God says he's going to take care of you, he'll guard you carefully, lift you up in his hands, and they will not strike a foot against the stone. Then, then I want to see it. Why don't you test him to see if his protection is true? And Jesus answered, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And this is one that particularly applies to our world today. Because Jesus, in my mind, is saying that hardship doesn't mean he's not protecting do you get that? That maybe there's a level of hardship that is necessary for my, my maturity. That there are things that I have to go through that are going to hurt, but that doesn't mean he's not protecting me. That he is protecting me by growing me up, teaching me more about this world, about my place in eternity. And as I grow up, he's protecting me by allowing me to go through some of these things that I view as hardships. But we will never know what it is that the grace of God has spared us from either. There is a level of hardship that may be necessary for our maturity, and the second piece of it is our responsibility, in my opinion. What responsibility do we bear when it comes to situations we find ourselves in? Satan takes him to the top of the temple. He's being tempted. And Jesus has to decide then... I'm going to think back to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Manasseh, as you did at Massah. And he remembers a story in which the Israelites cried out for water and said, why did you bring us out to the desert to die? We're going to die of thirst and it's all your fault. You can't do anything about it. And then God provides water for them. But he does it in a way that he says also then, don't put your Lord, your God to the test. 
That is not the way to go about it. What level of responsibility do we bear when it comes to the situations we find ourselves in? If Jesus had been at the top of that temple and thought, yeah, you know what, Satan, you're right. It's about time that God did something for me to show me that he's protecting me. And he takes a step off of the top of that temple. Is it God's responsibility to protect him because of the situation he finds himself in? Or had he provided protection by saying, don't put me to the test. Learn from the past. There are other things that, that could have protected you from this. Don't listen to what Satan is trying to get you to do. Based on how you've seen it go in the past, what you know from reading Scripture, we bear some responsibility for the situations that we find ourselves in because we're sinful human beings. Jesus did all of these things and it says throughout Scripture that He has no sin. He was tempted and was without sin. And how did He do it? Because He remembered that God can be trusted for our provision, that He can be trusted no matter where we find ourselves positionally, and He can be trusted with our protection, that, that even some of the hardships, some of the things that we go through are maybe for our benefit to grow us up to make better decisions down the road. Don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Is there a level of hardship that is necessary for our maturity? What responsibility do we bear when it comes to the situations that we find ourselves in? Because it's very different. Satan doesn't take us out into the desert and tempt us directly by situations the way that, uh, the way that he did with Jesus. This was a very clear-cut snapshot of what to do when Satan is attacking your belief system. Do you believe that God provides? Do you believe that God allows you to be in the position you're in? And do you believe that God will protect you? Those are three very key elements in your faith as you mature and you continue to grow. The the the. Well, great thing about it is it's so clear here, right? And it doesn't always look that clear in our lives. It kind of gets muddied a little bit, right? We get these gray areas, as we would call them in our world. The beautiful thing is the scriptures don't end there. In verse 13 of chapter 4, we see that when the devil had finished all this tempting... He left him until an opportune time. So we have this snapshot of how Jesus handled temptation. So we see it very clearly that he has to trust God for his provision. He has to understand his position and who gets the credit. And then he also has to, to believe that God will protect him and wants what's best for him in the end. And he lays all those things out and then he begins his ministry, right? 
And Satan leaves him alone and comes back at opportune times. And this is more what we face, isn't it? I wrote down a couple of things as I was thinking about it. And a friend of mine had written something uh, this week as well. He was thinking along these same, same lines. And it's, it's amazing how God works these things together, separated by hundreds of miles. And yet I read this post this week uh, from a friend of mine. The opportune time. What, what, would that, what might have that looked like? So we've dealt with provision. We've dealt with position. We've dealt with protection. And there were times that each of these, and two of them specifically that I wrote down, as Jesus had crowds following him, right? What do you think was the temptation of position? As he rides into the city of Jerusalem and they're crying out, Hosanna, the king is here. How tempting would that be to ride in and save the day? Do you think that was one of the opportune times? His position as he has these crowds following him and they elevate him and want him to be their king. The second one is, is also involving a crowd. Jesus feeds 5,000 men and women and children included. In, in one moment, he provides for the needs of thousands of people. Do you think that was a moment when he thought to himself, humanly speaking, I can provide for myself. I'm capable of this. There was an opportune time there to twist his thinking as well. Even though he was doing the work of the Lord, it was still a temptation to make it about him because it really boils down to who gets the credit. Do I believe fully that everything is from him? All I do is through him and everything goes back to him. The last moment that we see of Jesus really struggle is in the garden. And there is a, a wide theory that Satan was there in the garden with Jesus, tempting him, talking to him, whispering in his ear, Jesus, you don't have to give up your life. You're God too. Why, why should you have to die for these miserable people? And Jesus wrestles with this and talks to his father and comes to the conclusion, right, that, that if this cup can't be taken from me, if there's no other way, God, then your will be done. Those opportune times to be tested in your faith will come. And we find ourselves, and the reason I sat this Direction is because we're we're sitting in an empty building most of the time, and it's it's difficult to think about. You're going to be tempted to think it's easier to not go to church. It's easier not to be engaged with people. It's easier just to listen on the internet and think that was a good story. It's one of the temptations that you're going to face through all. And you're going to have to decide what is best for you. I saw an illustration 
um, rose uh, to a high level in my mind because it, it involved a couple of my favorite things, sitting with people, but it also involved a fireplace and there was a... Uh, a pastor that went to visit a young man who had who had not been in church for some time, and you've maybe seen this go around on Facebook and some others, and, and they're just chatting about things, and, and they're not talking about church necessarily. The pastor just kind of takes one of the coals red hot out of the fire and lays it out beside the fire on the hearth and watches as the fire goes out and it dims and eventually begins to just smoke and kind of smolders out until he picks it back up and he places it back into the fire. And then it burns brightly back into the place that it was designed to be for its intended purpose. And the body of Christ is like that, folks. That we are intended to, to not only be in connection with God the Father and to be in connection with His Son and to be listening to His Holy Spirit, but we are built to be in community with each other as well. And This is a very difficult time to remember all of those things. And as Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert and he had to deal with those things of provision and protection and, and the place in which he was in this world, we have to wrestle with those same things individually. This is just one of those things as an illustration. That there will be opportune times for Satan to get into your ear and say things to you and you're going to need to remember that you need to love and trust God. Wherever you're at, love him and trust him. You're going to need to know his word, right? Because Jesus knew his word, knew what his father had done in the past. He could incorporate it into his present and have answers for what it was that he was going through right then. Love and trust God. Know the word. And I believe that in our world, we need to surround ourselves with others that are also seeking his glory. That those things are what will help us continue to grow the most in a mature faith. That will help us in those opportune times that Satan finds to get into our life and whisper small deceits that lead us far from God. So this week, I want you to really think about how much time have you spent growing in your love and your trust of God this year? Do you know his word better because you've studied it by yourself, because you've had an opportune time to do those things? Or have you missed out on the Sunday gatherings and so you know his word less? Are you surrounding yourself with a group of people that are also seeking his glory? That as we do these things together, we understand more completely his purpose for our life. I hope that as we read these words together through Luke chapter four, we're reminded of, yes, the humanity of Jesus as he faced those temptations, but that, that he had a way out of them because he knew 
who his God was. He knew who the Father was. He loved him and trusted him. He knew the word of God. He incorporated it in his heart and could pull it out when he needed it. And I believe then he did surround himself with people that were also seeking the glory of God the Father. The disciples eventually did learn that lesson. I pray that that is what you take away today and that you become better for having done it. I pray that this room is full again someday of people who are surrounded and committed to Jesus Christ. That our world is different because of our passion and our love for him and our willingness to to take time and temptation and turn it into the glory of God. So I'm going to pray for you as you deal with Satan uh, on a daily basis as he whispers some of these things in your ear. I pray that you would love God and trust him more, that you would bury his word in your heart and that you would continue to surround yourself with people that know his glory to be true. Father, thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, that as you you give us opportunity to, to understand that we're part of the body of Christ, whether we're in this room or not, we still have an opportunity to read your word, to to embrace your, your plan for our lives, to endure some of those hardships that, that maybe are making us a better person, that are developing our character. Lord, I pray that we would do those things and that we would tell one another about them, that we would communicate, that we would reach out and that we would be a part of one another's lives as we wrestle through the insecurities and and unbelief that, that has crept into our lives because of this year. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for allowing this to be played out so clearly in Luke chapter four for reminding us that we do have an enemy, but we also have a champion. We have someone that loves us, that we can trust. We have your word to rely on, and you've given us others that are filled with the Holy Spirit to walk through life with. I pray that we do that in a way that glorifies and honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.